My name is Ricardo, one of the pastors here, and I get the awesome task to teach about gouging your eyes out and cutting off your arms. Um, I was thinking, it's been a while. When Justin was injured, it was good. I felt like I was teaching all the time, and I've been kind of out of rhythm, and I thought, you know what? What better message to jump right into is one as easy as this. So let's, we'll have fun tonight, sort of. So um, we were in the middle of a series, so those of you guys who are here visiting or just here for the first time, and it's, it's entitled Scandalous, and it's the five hard sayings of Jesus. Um, not that Jesus only said five hard things, we're just trying to highlight that Jesus did say very hard things. And so this is week three, and uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. So if you guys have your Bibles, why don't you guys meet me there in Matthew chapter 5. Um, if you don't have a Bible, why don't you guys slip up your hands, keep it held high, and one of the guys will bring you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, this is yours to keep, and if you do own one but you forgot one, go ahead and keep your hand hand held high, and uh, the guys will be able to get you one. As you turn there, there's a bit of good news that I would love to share with you guys. Um, Last night was an amazing night. I don't know if you know or not, but the Arizona State Sun Devils, after 11 years, put a whooping on the Trojans. I'm so happy to be a part of such a godly church. This is... um, evidence of grace. Uh, so yesterday I had the opportunity. <laughs> yeah. So wait, wait, keep that. That's great. So, so as we talk about lust today and, and really gouging things out, I just want you to see Vontez Perfect right there. That's how we're going to attack sin. Um, that's awesome. All right. <laughs> that's awesome. Yesterday morning, I had the great opportunity to be able to, uh, and I get the chance to do this about two to three times a year uh, for home games, do chapel with the team. And when I, when I got up to speak, I don't know why I said this, but uh, I looked at him and I said, listen, when I was a senior in high school was the last time that ASU beat USC. And I said, tomorrow morning and all day, I'm going to get in front of our church and I would love to. And then I said, know what? I'm going to. I can't wait to be able to say that we won. And I was like, no pressure, I don't believe in jinx, I don't believe in that, maybe prophecy, we'll see, and we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. And so last night was great, and uh, I, I had to bring my wife with me, my wife reminded me that um, every game that she's been to, we've won. I don't believe in superstition, but I made sure that she came with me, um, even, even but for a half. And if you know anything about ASU football and USC, first half's always good, second half started off, same old, same old, a- USC marches down and scores, I'm like, I've seen this movie before. And then we put it on them, so praise be to the glory of God. Um, <laughs> l- l- listen, when I, when I was thinking about, you know, how we were going to uh, segue that, the, there's, a, there's, a, there's a reason to that. So if you have been an ASU fan um, for some time, especially in the last 12, 11 years, you, you've gotten so close, we've gotten so close, and it's like, oh, we're going to do it this year, and then we don't. We're, we're going to do it this year, and then we don't. And we're going to do it this year, and we don't. And finally, we, we receive victory. And, and as, we, as we look at Jesus' words and hear from Jesus' Jesus' words tonight, there, there are people here in a much bigger battle, a, a way bigger battle with sin, and particularly sin of lust, that, that have had that same feeling like, I'm not going to do it again, I'm not going to do it again, and then you fail. I'm not going to do it again, I'm not going to do it again, and then you fail. And then my prayer for, for this evening, and it has been my prayer all day, is that we would see only in Christ Jesus and clearly in Christ Jesus and supremely in Christ Jesus that there is victory for all who are in Christ Jesus. And, and, and so I'm just going to be just upfront. We are not talking about sex because sex is not the problem. There's a beautiful book called, by Joshua Harris called Sex is Not the Issue, Lust is. 
Um, and, and what we're talking about is here is one, because I know week after week we have people that are here that are not Christian, and I'm thankful that you come. And, and, and oftentimes when you hear Christians talking about sex, what you think is there's a killjoy that Christians are against sex. Let me just tell you, Christians are for sex, okay? Here's why. God created it. And if God created it as in everything else, he knows the best way to experience it, the best way that it should go, the context of which it is greatest. And it's between a man and a female in a committed relationship. They're committed socially, financially, psychologically, spiritually. They are one. It's a marriage. And God says, it's beautiful. This is the same God if you were here just several months ago when we went through the series of Song of Solomon. And we see this romantic relationship. This is in the scripture of which God inspired for us to read. This is the same God who tells young men to enjoy their wife and their youth. God is for sex. The issue and what God is not for is lust. And the reason why this sits home is this is something that speaks to every single person in this room. Male, female, old, young. It's an issue. And it's an issue with all people, Christian and non-Christian. And so these are Jesus' words. Now, if I could just give you some context, this is, again, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, the longest sermon that is recorded in Scripture. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. There's also Pharisees there, people who thought that they took God's law, that we'll read about here in just a second, as a means to make themselves right before God and right before others, when the law, as beautiful as it was, was never a means to make us right before God. It was a means to show God's holy character and how we did not add up and we needed a substitute, ultimately, how we needed Jesus. And there's also just a bunch of people here, disciples, people who would say they want to follow Jesus, Pharisees, people who thought they had their act together, and a host of other people. And Jesus begins to speak hard words, I mean, he says things in the Sermon on the Mount like, hey, you've heard it said in the law that you shall not murder. And they're like, yeah, we shouldn't murder. And he goes, well, I'll I'll take it even further. Don't just murder. It's equally as bad for you to have hatred or anger in your heart towards someone. And everyone goes, man, I've been there before. And then he picks up here in in Matthew chapter 5. And before we jump into the text, why don't you guys pray with me as we ask the Holy Spirit to guide our time. Father, we thank you. And and Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word. Father, I do pray for as we hit on subjects of adultery and of sexual sin, God, that you would bring conviction and your spirit would convict us of sin and righteousness. God, I pray for those who have been hurt by it, that you would be their comfort. For those who are in the midst of it, I pray that you'd be with them. I pray for our marriages. I pray for our couples. I pray for our singles. God, I pray for our church. And God, I pray that, that as we take the, the next several minutes, Lord, and, and look at your word, Lord, that, that it would be clear, Lord, that the only way out is through your son, Jesus, of whom you've given us and who you've given us a deposit and a down payment of the Holy Spirit. So God, edify us tonight as a body. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this, this, this issue of, of lust for me, when I became a Christian, I thought, man, there's two things that if God just got rid of these two things, I would be a super Christian if there ever was one. Um, one was anger. If I could just stop punching people. No, I'm just sure. If one, one, one was anger and the other one was lust. I'm like, if I could just, if this thing went away, oh, man, it'd be, I would be like, like right there next to Paul. So Paul. Like I'd be right there. And I remember talking to a guy who was a, a, just kind of a mentor of mine, and, and I said, hey, man, um, is there a way to cure lust? 
And he goes, oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, there is, because I've read all the books. And, you know, that, you know, so, and I leaned in, and he goes, death. He's <laughs> like, you got to die. And, and I was like, oh, great, all right. He goes, but there's a way to battle. In fact, you have to battle. And what he says is wins in this category is not like you go seasons and seasons of where it doesn't exist. There may be seasons where you feel like you got control of it, and then there's a season where it feels like it's in your face all the time. It's in your memory all the time. It's coming up all the time. There are places that you have to go to, whether for school or for work, that you can't escape it, and your heart has to be saturated in the gospel. And so wins in this area, it's very slow, and it's hard and it's ongoing, you can never let your guard down. And, and that's, that's true when it comes to lust. And, and, and that's true when it comes to every single one in here. And so when Jesus begins to talk here, he talks to a particular culture in their language. Every society, every culture has things, whether they're Christian or not, that you could do and you should do, and there's things that you shouldn't do, and very rarely, and, but, but often, there's, there's people who, there's things that you are supposed to not do that seem to be worse. And in and, and this culture, adultery was one of those things. And so when Jesus says in verse 27, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Every Jewish person's ears would have perked up because they knew this was the law that God had given them through Moses. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, as is defined there that adultery is having sexual intercourse with someone other than your spouse. And so it's a man or a woman who engages in sexual activity with someone other than their wife and other than their husband. And this was serious because it showed that the relationship between them and God was severed, that it was broken, because marriage in itself was God's first covenant that he gave to us that we see it in Genesis. And it reflects and shows God's relationship between him and his people. It was an offense against the spouse who was sinned against, and it brought shame. And it was also an offense to the community because it brought a stench. In fact, they were so serious about adultery that, that in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, God's words, it said that any man or woman that is caught in something like this should be stoned. It was a form of capital punishment. So it was a big deal. And, and as a culture, it was a big deal. And I, I would even say this. In our culture, it's still a big deal. Even though it happens a lot, it's still something that we see both Christian and non-Christian as morally wrong. It's something when we see it, we say, that's wrong. Because here's what Jesus is addressing here, first and foremost. It's the seeable sin. The sin that's in the public. The sin that's in the open. The sin that people know about, your neighbors know about, your family know about. They see that something has happened. And I would say both Christian and non-Christian, they don't like it. And a perfect example of that is Tiger Woods. There, there's someone that, that people adored. He was the greatest golfer around. He was the man. They had all his endorsements. And then all of a sudden, if you remember the kind of the scenes that came out, it was like Tiger Woods. You knew it was something up from the beginning. He backed out of his garage, and he ran into a tree, and his wife came to save him with the golf club. <laughs> and, and, and even more than that, it was like, really, a man who can hit a 30-foot putt, like with precise accuracy, but yet can't back up out of his driveway, like something's going on there. And sure enough, it came out, yep, woman after woman after woman, that he was an adulteress, that he had, he had cheated on his wife. And what did we do as a culture? That dude's wrong. 
that dude is all bad. I can't believe he would do that to his wife. I can't believe he would do that to his family. Look how, look how pretty his wife is. Look how gorgeous his kid. He had everything. He's wrong. Endorsements said we're going to take our name off of him. We're, our reputation, we don't want our reputation on this man because of these, this act or these acts that he's committed. We're going to take our label off of him. And so, so when I say like us as a culture, we don't like it, we may not, we may not physically stone him, but we'll verbally stone him. We, 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 will, we will take people that have done these things and we will say, that is wrong. And biblically, it's true. It is. It's a sin. But yet what Jesus is trying to do is saying, let, let, let's get below the seeable sin. Let, let, let's get below. It's easy for us to, to take jabs at someone like Tiger. D- Jesus says, most of you may have not committed that, and so you think you're off the hook. Y- you think you're nothing like Tiger. And yet what he's trying to communicate is, you're more like Tiger than you think. Your sin may not be seeable, but it's definitely in the secret. Verse 28, Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her her in his heart. Um, what, What Jesus is trying to say is the issue here is in your heart. Meaning, as with every sin, it's not so much the action. The action in itself usually is just a reflection of what's going on in your heart. So, so the person who commits adultery, the action is serious, but even more serious, it's what's going on in his or her heart. And so it's easy for us to stand back and see the seeable sin and go, it's clear that person's heart is wrong because look what he or she is doing. But I think it's equally as dangerous for some of us to say our life, our behavior looks really good and almost to think because our behavior and our life is good, that our heart's good. And Jesus is saying, uh-uh, uh-uh. And so when he's talking here, he's speaking clearly to the Pharisees, which as much as we like to dig on Pharisees, most of us are like Pharisees. We want to live up to the scriptures, which is good. We want to do what God's called us to do, which is good, and we should. And yet there's a way that externally we could do good things, and yet internally we could be morally corrupt. In fact, Jesus goes to say this is not just a select few of people, but he says here, this is everyone. And so the broad implications here goes towards men and, get this ladies, females, women. I, I think sometimes as pastors, we, 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 we kind of give you guys a pass and we let you off the hook. When we really talk about lust, we look at all the guys and we go, shame on you, you idiot, you this, you that. Here's three books, read this, and we'll see what happens. And, 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 and all the guys are like, yeah, man, I remember Ricardo said that to me, man. Um, and, 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 and it's almost like we, we communicate uh, by implication that women don't struggle with lust, and that's a lie. D- Jesus says everyone, and so he's speaking to everyone. He's saying it's not so much what you do externally, but internal. And so your sins may not be sealed, but you have secret sins, meaning there's a chance that no one even knows what you wrestle with. It's in your heart. It's in your mind. It's in your thoughts. And Jesus continues to let us know what this is like. He says this, verse 28 again, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her. That word looks right there. Um, it's, a, it's a present participle, meaning it's ongoing. It, it's not this. It's not a glance. It's not, it's not looking at someone and going, oh, that's an attractive person. I mean, some people try to be holier than that. Oh, no, everyone's ugly but you, sweetheart. Um, <laughs> you know it, baby, right? It's all bad. Like, don't be a liar, right? Just don't say anything, right? And, 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 and wives and husbands, don't, hey, you think he looks good? Just don't ask that question. Just don't, unless you want, unless you want to hear the answer right? Unless you want to hear the answer. Jesus is not saying it's wrong to glance. Um, 
people are good looking, all right? And so if you look at that person, or I'm not pointing to any of you, um, so <laughs> someone was like, oh, me? <laughs> If you look at anybody, if you look at anybody and you notice that they're just beautiful as a, as a male or a female, a glance, that's not the issue. In fact, people just notice those things, even little kids. Um, funny, not kind of funny story, my, my little son, uh, the oldest one, last Christmas time there was the Christmas party circuit where you go to a bunch of Christmas parties and, and you usually don't know very many people there, but you go. And what my wife and I noticed the first party we were at that he kept going to the most attractive um, people of the opposite sex and he kept walking to them and lifting up his hands. <laughs> He'd pass over us because clearly we just didn't fit the bill. <laughs> And he would go, I'm like, ah, well, maybe that's a, just as us. So we invited a, a friend of ours to another party. We're like, hey, man, watch him. See if he does it again. And we're at a friend's house, and this, this woman walks in, this lady walks in, um, not dressed a whole lot, a lot of clothes on, especially given that it was winter. And so she, she walks in, and, and my son just kind of looks, and he just kind of, <laughs> and he's not even two. He's not even two yet at this moment. So he walks up to her, and he just throws her hands up, kind of like, <laughs> like, what up, girl? <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and my wife is looking at me like, you better handle that. You better, you, you better handle that. And, and, and he notices it. And, and so that word looks is not just to glance. It has the idea to stare, to gauge, intentionally ongoing. And, and, and so it's not looking at someone here and noticing that they're attractive. It's looking at someone here and then noticing them all the way over here. Um, it's one thing to go, oh, that's an attractive person, and another thing to go, ding! <laughs> that's, that would be a problem. <laughs> so Jesus is communicating here that, that this, this sin, this sin is ongoing, and, and when I mean ongoing is, is, is it, it happens again, and then it happens again, and then maybe some time goes by, but then it happens again, and then you make some promises to God, but then it happens again, and it says when you look at this particular person with lustful intent, and that word lust is a Greek word, epithemia, and it means an over-desire. So again, it's not that your sexual desire is wrong or bad. It's the direction in which the sexual desire is headed. And so Jesus is saying that in your heart, that sin is there. And so it doesn't mean, hear me, that, that a man who looks at a woman with lustful intent causes sin in his heart. It means it's sin in a man's heart that causes him to look at a woman with lustful intent. It, it, it's completely internal for guys and girls. And I got a few things about how this can show itself. And I, again, I call them secret sins because the truth of the matter is there are people who may not even know. The first thing I have, how this can happen, and it should be clear, but it's not as clear, and that's, that's just premarital sex. I feel like when I say that, I, I, I feel like I just outdated myself somehow, that, that now, for some reason in church, it's like I, we have Christians professing believers in Jesus who would say, really, who, who's not having sex today? As if it's okay? And, and, and he, he, I, want, I want to be sensitive to this on, on one part. Here's what I respect. I respect the people who are here who say, there is no God, or if there is a God, he doesn't control me. And then your life show it. Because at least there's, there's, there's honesty there. Because, because you, you just live up to what you believe or what you don't believe. As opposed to the people that are here who would say that, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and yet, 
nothing in your life, or at least this area in your life, doesn't show it? Meaning you could be flippant about the fact that you were sexually engaging things with people who were not your spouse? Because ultimately what you were doing, hear me, this is vivid, but this is Jesus' hard teaching. What you're doing when you decide to flippantly engage in these things sexually is that when you see the cross of Jesus Christ, of which he bled, what you would say for you, you're saying, I don't want that. I'd rather do what I want to do. I mean, this is, this is 2011. Do you really think people can do this? God's word is unchanging and it's never failing. And so what I'm saying is this, what you ultimately do with your life is you say with your mouth you believe in Jesus, but with your actions, you don't. With your actions, you're saying, Jesus, what you did on the cross does not mean anything for me. I'm not going to change my life for you. And so in essence, how can you know? And I have to say that. Now, I'm not talking of those of you who have struggled in this and who have failed in this and have repented. I mean, I get that. I've been there. I'm saying the person, the guy and the girl who is very flippant about it, meaning, oh yeah, Jesus died for me, it's whatever. And there's no true repentance. That's one way. Um, the, the, the next way that this, this happens is, is clear. It's is when we have this lustful intent, it's pornography. And just a few months ago, Justin really hit hard on this and, and talked about how, how damaging pornography is to men and women. And, and I would say not just pornography, some of you are in different varying places. Some of you guys, there's TV shows that you shouldn't watch. Some of you guys, are certain um, books that you shouldn't read, that you find yourself engaging and engaging and engaging. And you know, uh, you, you, you're on the couch flipping through the screen, and you're just hoping, you know, I don't want to see anything really bad, but I kind of want to see something bad, and I just flip. That, that's, that's it. That, that this is what Jesus is talking about. It's in your heart. And women... Um, it could look like for you when it comes to not so much seeing images, but, but, but fantasies in your mind and in your thoughts. Meaning there's something of your spouse for married women that, that he's lacking in. Something that God has said that he should be doing, but he's not. And you begin to see um, another man who's doing those particular things well. And, and that becomes attractive to you. And slowly but surely, over and over year again, you're saying, I wish that was here, that was here, and that was here, to, to, to eventually it goes, kind of, he was him. And that, that's, that's equally as dangerous. When you begin to fantasize about, about particular people, particular books, particular movies, that, that's when Jesus is saying, it's in your heart. And no one even knows. And, and this, this, this next one is probably the most sensitive. And that's when a man says, I have desires for another man. Or I have desires and I'm a woman for another woman. And the reason why I say that sensitive is, we can get a bunch of guys in the room and say, hey, I struggle with lust. Um, I'm engaging, watching pornography. I have this entire week and people pray for me. And, and the Bible is very clear. There's no sin that's uncommon to man. And guys will say, I've been there. I know how to, I, I, I can help you. Or we can get a bunch of women together and say, that's me. I, I feel like I'm not married, but the, the, I'm a single woman. And I desire a man or I have desires for a man and they're very unhealthy. I know God would love for me to be married, but the desires that I have, they go, they go beyond that. And then there'd be women around that says, I know what that's like. I've been through that. Yet, um, when it comes to homosexuality, when it comes to same-sex attraction, if we just be honest, as a church, historically, we have not been good at it. But there's no group that we have that people will go, yeah, you know what? I'm struggling liking other men. And what I would say this is, is to you, if you're here, um, is one, the enemy will try to lie to you and say that it's okay and you should engage those things. And I have to be honest with you, it's not. 
The enemy will equally lie to you and say that you cannot come to your church, and I would say you should and you can. Because the church is not about anyone in here. It's not about me. It's not about Justin, Ryan, or anyone else. The church is clearly about Jesus Christ, and clearly through the scriptures, you're the type of person that Jesus came for. In fact, everyone is the type of person that Jesus came to die for. There's not one sin that is elevated. It may be unique in the sense that most of us may not struggle from it, but that it's a lie from Satan for you to have to hide with it. Amen? And so as a church... We want to be able to love you in the same way that we love everyone else because the enemy will lie. And as a pastor and as your friend, I have to tell you, it's still equally as sinful as the rest that I just named. Now, there could be plenty other, plenty other things that you engage with. And I don't know your sin, nor do I need to. But what Jesus is trying to get is saying there's not a group of haves and have-nots. We're all have-nots. And the issue is our heart. And there's nothing that you can do apart from a sovereign God opening up your heart to respond. There's nothing you can do to cure your heart. There's no external behavior that you can do to fix the issue that is far deeper. And yet Jesus, in his infinite love for us, even in these hard words, gives us a solution to the secrecy of our sin. Verse, Verse 28, verse 29. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. And throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Let me, let me first say what Jesus is not saying, even though it looks like he's saying that. Um, <laughs> he's not saying cut anything off, all right? Um, he's using figurative language to communicate a literal truth. He's saying sin is serious, and so we need to engage it, attack it, make war with it, serious. Um, There have been people who have taken this literally, one guy in particular, Origen, um, who was a church father, lived in 185 AD, and, and then he died way before any of us were born. And he was a father of the church, a man of God. He read this particular verse and was convicted of it, and he castrated himself. I'm not saying to do that. And neither is Jesus, all right? Uh, for a couple reasons. One, God has given you a body to steward and to love and ultimately to, to his glory. And the second is, there's nothing, that, nothing you could do externally, again, to fix the issue. Uh, Jesus is trying to communicate that sin is serious. Now, if I back up for a little bit and just talk about this scandalous saying of Jesus, in these few verses, the most scandalous thing is the, the, the two things that he mentions here. He says, one, cut something off, or it's better than to go to hell. Cut something off because it's better to lose that than go to hell. Two times he uses hell. And this is something in Christian churches and the world we don't like to talk about. I mean, don't get me wrong, me neither. I don't like to sit up there and go, hey, you know, let's talk about hell today. Why not, right? I, I don't evangelize with going to people like, hey, um, so hell's hot. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you want to? That, that's just not, that's not, that's not, that's not what I want to say. That's why I love when we go through these things because I have to teach it because this is what Jesus said. So there's something here that Jesus is communicating. Um, there is a word called carnality. It means to live in the flesh. Um, and to live in the flesh means to live a life apart from God. And there are two kinds of people there are, that are Christian. I'm just talking to Christians now, is that there are Christians who, who love Jesus and will at times, every single one of us live in the flesh, and every single time we sin, it's who we are. Our, sin is fa- our, our flesh is fallen, and we will battle. We will struggle. That's not what he's talking about. There are other type of people who profess Jesus, 
Many of what Justin talked about last week when it says, Lord, Lord, people who, who, who say they love Jesus, and yet nothing in their life shows it. And they go season upon season upon season upon season, and there's absolutely no fruit. Now, hear me. We are not saved by fruit. We're saved by faith. However, we're not saved by faith that's fruitless. And, and, and we need to be careful here. One, Jesus is not saying that you can lose your salvation. You can't lose what you've never earned. What, what he's communicating in this way is that there could be a chance that you were never a Christian. There could be a chance that you showed up week after week after week and you were in community with people and that you were never a Christian. Because you went seasons and seasons and seasons of continual unrepentant sin. The second reason why we got to be careful about that is it's not for me and it's not for you to ever say who's a Christian, who's not a Christian. That, that, that's not on us. In fact, I don't know how long people can go with sinning and not repenting. And, and, and the reason why I say that is if all you have to do is read uh, Paul's letter to the church that's in Corinth. This was a wild church. Um, they came to communion, and, and instead of remembering Jesus, they got drunk. There were orgies going around. There, were, there was a guy in the church that was sleeping with his dad's wife, his stepmom, and people didn't even care about it. I mean, this church was wild, and Paul doesn't address them and say, you who used to be Christian. He doesn't say, you who were never, never were Christian. He addresses them as brothers, essentially as Christians. So how long? I have no idea. It's a warning for us, and I think that's the scandalous saying, along with Jesus' solution. Because it, when he gives a solution here it, to be serious with sin, it almost looks like he's saying, do something externally in order to fix your heart. But you've got to hear me, that's not it. What, what Jesus is trying to communicate is that sin is serious, and the only way that your heart can be right to the point where you can attack sin, it starts first, again, with faith. And so it's backing up and saying there are things that you can do. Jesus is not promoting um, works-based self-behavior um, modification. That's not what he's saying. Just fix yourself. We can all do that. We can all get covenant eyes. We can all cut off relationships. We can all fix ourselves, and yet our hearts are still wicked. What Jesus is promoting here is, is grace-based, gospel-centered sanctification. Here's what that means. Grace-based meaning it starts with that you and I in Christ Jesus have been given something that was fully undeserving to us, and yet it's ours now. And that's faith in a holy God who has come, who has lived, who has died, and who was raised, and ascended, and has given us his spirit. This is grace-based, meaning it's something that we did not earn, it's something that we did not lose. And so in the middle of your midst of your battle, that it starts first with remembering the grace that's been extended to you. Gospel-centered. Gospel-centered means the motivation, um, the desire. It comes from the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ and him giving us the spirit to empower us, a life that gives life to our mortal bodies. And so it's something that's undeserved. It's seeing Jesus, and upon seeing Jesus now, it's sanctification, which is the ongoing process of God's work through grace in faith in our lives. But it's faith that makes us work. So, so often we hear, oh, grace, God forgives us, past, present, and future. There's nothing I have to do. Listen, there's nothing you did to earn your salvation. But Paul explicitly says, work out your salvation. So in essence, work out what God has already worked in. Um, it's, it's God, by grace and faith, looking at him and responding and saying, because I love you, because you're worth it, because you left the comforts of heaven for me, I know that you want me to live for you, and I desire to live for you. And it's in the work and the strength of Christ that now we work hard to battle and to engage. 
And there's four things that I have here that, that I think would help us in our, our battle with lust as men and women. The first thing is avoid temptation. It seems simple, but, but the Bible constantly says uh, that you need to avoid temptation. Uh, we, we mentioned Tiger Woods earlier, and what's interesting is that to me is um, some people kind of wanted to be like Tiger. You know, some people want to be with more girls. And you could say, oh, man, Tiger. It's like, listen, let's just be honest. There's just two differences between me, you, and, and, and Tiger, right? He's a millionaire and a word called opportunity. Because some of you are looking, but she just ain't looking back. <laughs> to avoid temptation is to not put yourself in the position. It's, it's to set yourself up to win. And so the Bible uses words like flee, flee, flee. And the, and the <clears throat> rooting for the devils last night, um, flee, flee, flee. And then we see this picture clearly with uh, Joseph and Potiphar. So there's a story in Exodus where Joseph is the man and Potiphar, Potiphar's wife is in there and she's trying to seduce him and he just leaves. He gets up and he runs. He leaves his cell phone, his wallet, iPad, all of that. He didn't even care. He just got out of there. And, and that's the picture. We got to avoid it. Sometimes it's not fleeing. Sometimes it's never going. And so I don't know what that looks like for you. Um, some of you, it could be you have, to, um, you have to ask yourself, write it down. It would be helpful. What are the moments? What are the times? What's happening when I'm struggling with this particular sin? Is it when I have a drink or two? Is it when I stay up a little later? Is it when there's a lot of stress at work? Is it when my spouse is, 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 is bothering me? Is it when it feels like I've lost control, when I lost power? Is, is this it? Is it when I'm around a group of people? I, I would tell some of you guys, um, some of you, you, you singles, it, it, it means that you need to cut off a relationship that you may be with. Because here's what I know when, when it comes to sexual sin. Not to say that God can't redeem it, but some relationships, sex can ruin an other, otherwise premarital sex, and when it comes to sin here, it can ruin an otherwise healthy relationship or prolong a very bad one, a very bad one. And I speak from experience here. And so some of you need to just get rid of it. As hard as it may be, you got to just cut it off. It's got to be serious. And you, 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 have to, you have to be serious. And so Jesus, when he says, gouge out the right eye and the, and the right hand, in Hebrew culture, that, that meant significance or importance. So he's saying, be willing to lose something significant. Be willing to lose something important to gain something that's more important. To nurture a relationship that's more important in Jesus. And so the first one is avoid temptations. Some of you guys, it could be at work where, where there's a particular person that it's plutonic, it's fine, and it could be, it's fine. I'm not saying guys and girls can't be friends. I'm just saying sometimes it can go a little further. Be careful. So she goes to lunch here, and you, you know, I kind of want to go to lunch here. And the next day she goes to lunch here, and you're kind of like, you know, I want to go to lunch here. And you begin to, to, to reorient your whole, your whole schedule around this particular person. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. The first thing that we can do is to avoid temptation. The next thing is to adore God. And it's an adoration of God. And, and, and this is something I believe God has been speaking to me. The, the other day I was just in prayer, and um, God doesn't speak to me audibly. I wish he would. I'm so praying one day. Um, he doesn't speak to me audibly, but he did somehow, and I think it was him, and probably wasn't from Satan, because it was something really good from the scripture, and it, it, was, uh, it was Psalm 27. And Psalm 27, and, and it was a verse that David, who I take all my cues from, and you should take all your cues from when it comes to this particular area, because David was a mess, but yet he, he loved God, and he worshiped God, and he's just an example of a guy who's a mess, just like you and me, and it's just like, this dude's a train wreck, yet a man after God's own heart. And so David is talking, and God speaks to David, and he says, seek my face. And it's in Psalm 27, I think, 8 and 9, and then David responds, and he says, your face, O Lord, do I seek? 
And so adoration of God is it's replacing a desire that's unhealthy with a desire that's supreme. Uh, the Bible lets us know that in the right hand, God holds pleasure, that he's got plenty of pleasure, pleasure that the world doesn't even know of, pleasure that's godly, pleasure that we can go to over and over and over again. So adoration of God is seeking his face, and primarily it's being dependent upon God and God alone, and there's, there's no better way to show and cultivate a dependence upon God than prayer. I, I know we're supposed to read our Bibles, and most of us read our Bibles, and, and we, we, we read books and things. I'm talking prayer, like prayer, prayer, like prayer, 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 uh, like on your face, on your knees, seeking God even when you don't want to. Even when you, when you feel he's not even there, it's seeking him. This is the working and the striving that comes from faith. Not to get God, but because you already have God. It, that is my prayer for us, that we would be people who would seek his face. Because the more that we see Jesus, the more we can see that this world just ain't right. For me personally, when I'm battling, there's a couple, there's a couple scriptures I go to. One is draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. That, that's saying in response to what he's done, draw near to him and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. I, I bank on that promise. Because you know, the only thing that can get me out of my issues is a, a holy, sovereign, loving God. It's through adoration. The next, the next prayer is it, it, it's Psalm 119. He gives it to us. The, 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 the psalmist writes the question, asks the question, how does a young man or woman keep his or her way pure? And he says it, a guarding it according to your word. It, it, it's seeking God. And, and it's not this way. When, when I, my wife said this to me one time. She goes, you know, you feel like you go to the Bible for just certain particular scriptures. Like if you're, built, you're, you're, you're battling with a particular sin. So say you're talking sexual sin and you try to find all the verses that are just for sexual sin and you go to it and you go to them and you go, oh, still don't feel good. Like, like it's medicine. And she goes, how about you just go to the word? You, you don't need to go to a specific place. Because when you go to word, you go to God and you're seeking him and there's an adoration. And this is a cultivation that builds in you. And it's going to God's word. So avoid temptation, adoration of God. And this next one is accountability. And accountability is, is kind of one of those weird words because um, the word's not weird. It's just, if you've ever been a part of bad accountability relationships, you know what I mean. Like, hey, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? And it's like, oh my gosh. I'll punch you. So that's, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking people who, who ultimately, at the heart of this, it's people who you can go to that can help you carry your burdens people that you can confess to. Two, two of the greatest times of my life where I really sensed the presence of God. Uh, one was uh, I was with a friend of mine. He invited all his Christian guy friends from all over the valley. There was pastors there, men, husbands, just, just a bunch of guys there and got his family out for the whole night and we prayed and, and we read through James and it says, confess your sins and you will be healed. And, and he just says, is there anybody here who's struggling with things that, that, that maybe nobody knows? And he says, let's break up in groups and let's just confess. And I'm just telling you, I'm in this room. And, and at this time, I wasn't a pastor yet. And these, these grown men were just saying, you know what? I've been in an, an adulterous affair for the past six months. And I need to tell my wife and I'm going to tonight. These grown men, I've been battling with pornography over and over again. In fact, I didn't want to come here tonight because just the night before I was there. Th these grown men just pouring out their heart. And yet, they were free. They were free not because of anything to do with the people in the room, but because we trusted the scripture and we just laid hands on it. We didn't counsel. We didn't say, hey, here's a couple books for you. That's helpful. In the moment, we just laid hands on it and said, Lord, thank you. Because when it comes down to someone's confessing you sin, you don't need to try to bring conviction there. It's clear the spirit is already doing what the spirit does. And, 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 and in fact, the, the second one was, was in a student ministry setting. It was a 
people about as full as this, kids and adults, and we just kind of just said, hey, what we want to do is we're just going to have people up here, and um, if you want prayer here, just kind of come forward. We're not going to counsel. We're just an opportunity for you. you. You know what? You probably never told anybody. And clear in a room like this, that's probably true. No one even knows. And, and, and these adults and these kids, they just came forward, and it just all came out, and we just prayed for them. And what, what came out of that is that there were people who were struggling with things, um, with, with sexual promiscuity because of things that had happened to them in their past. Like things that, that they had been abused or molested and they'd been carrying this guilt as if it was just a shame for them instead of coming out and just saying, this is something that's happened to me. I need prayer. And so accountability is not a bunch of people saying, let me point out the sin in your life. Accountability is you by the Holy Spirit searching out the people and saying, I just need you to pray with me. I need you to pray for me. Um, because this thing can go from zero to 100. Um, what I do is whenever it begins to start, I go to someone and say, can you pray for me? Because I don't want it to get here. And, 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 and no one's exempt. There, there's no one in this room because of a particular title or a label that's exempt from this, me or you or anybody else. And so you have people that can pray for you. It, it, it's, 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 it's one of the best things in the world. It's true accountability. And the last thing that we have, um, after avoiding temptation, an adoration of seeking God's face and accountability of having people in your life to pray with you and to be with you is assurance of grace. And assurance of grace is, is, is to know the scripture and to know God's promises. Because if there's any sin that just makes you feel like crap, it's sexual sin. If there's any sin that, that, that makes you feel like, you know what, I may not be a Christian, it's this one. If there's any sin that sucks the life out of you, it, it's this one. And so that's why Jesus says, go after it hard. It's not that it's worse than any other sin. It's just this one right here that you fester and it grows into your heart and you make promises with God, I won't do it again. Then you do it again. You feel more and more guilty. And then when you wake up, you, you, you try to do things to appease yourself or to appease God. I'll read more. I'll go to church. You walk around with your head down. The thing that you need is not a book. The thing that you need is not someone else. You need to know without a shadow of doubt that he who begin a good work in you will finish it until completion that there's an almighty, sovereign God who loves you still. Here's, what, here's some of the worst news I ever heard. When I was a young Christian, there was a man who was teaching us, and he says, this is what lust is like. This is just watching sexual sin and sexual things like. Jesus is with you. He's Emmanuel, that he's with you wherever you go. And yet, there's certain things in your life that when you engage in, Jesus has to stop. And then he has to turn his back on you because that's how much he hates sin. And yet, Jesus does hate sin. But the last thing he does to his children is turns his back on us. The, 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 the Bible says that he's been given, he's given every single believer, every single person who has faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. He never turns his back on his children. That means in your deepest, darkest moments, in your thought process, in your mind, in your engaging, whatever your sin is, God is still with you. And you need to know that. That, 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 that means that you don't have to beg God. So often when, when, when young men or women come, I just, I just feel so bad, I just feel so bad, I just feel so bad. And I'm like, why are you begging God? He already forgives you. We have a sovereign God who knows exactly what you did last night, what you'll do the next night, and yet he loves you still in Christ Jesus. What, what, will, what will assure us of grace is seeing Jesus, even in our darkest moments. That's the gospel, amen? You, 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 you got to get this. Jesus hates your sin 
far more than you. And he loves you far more than you. And, and he shows that his hatred for your sin in this. You notice how Jesus speaks figuratively here? And he says, cut off your right hand, cut, get, gouge out your right eye, but not really. I just want to show you how serious it is. And yet he himself, for not, he left something very important. He cut off something very important. And that's the comfort of being with the Father and the Spirit in heaven to come what? To literally be cut. He became on the cross sin for those of us who were sinners. So the labels that we put on ourselves, adulterer, pornographer, woman who lusts, who has fantasies, Jesus says no, because it's not about your activity or your actions, it's about me. And Jesus takes all of those labels onto himself and he understands, he knows, he empathizes, he sympathizes, and he goes to the cross and he dies for it. So our identity is no longer what we do, but our identity is completely in what he has done. That's the gospel. That's an assurance of grace, and that's yours. It's freely given in Christ Jesus. So, so the most important thing that will help us in our battle with sexual sin is our Savior and his love and his message towards us. And, and I'll close with, with this. Um, Tiger Woods, someone who we look at and go, what an idiot. And yet what Jesus is trying to get us to see is that old Tiger Woods commercial where there was old people and young people and white people and black people, and they stood up and they said, you remember? I'm Tiger Woods. I'm Tiger Woods. Next person, I'm Tiger Woods. Jesus is trying to get us to see that, that he's not like Nike, and he's not like any other labels that will take his name and take his reputation off people because of what they've done. Jesus is God. And no matter what you've done because of faith in Christ Jesus, he doesn't remove the label, he doesn't remove the name, and he doesn't remove his reputation. He gives you his spirit, he comforts you, and he draws you back to himself. It's the love of God that nothing that we can ever do can separate. Amen? Let's pray. Father, God, we, we, we pray that you would, um, even in this moment, just remind us of the love that we have in your son, Jesus. And God, I pray for those who are hearts beating fast, guilty, Lord, and that you would show them that guilt is of this world, that you've taken guilt and you've taken shame in Jesus. God, I, I pray for the many tonight who are in marriages that are struggling with this, that you would comfort them and that they themselves, Father God, would, 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 would come to one of the elders, Lord, that we may be able to help them and be able to, in Christ Jesus, disciple them. Father, I pray um, against the lies of the enemy, Lord, that will tell young men and young women and old men and old women, Lord, one, that they're okay because they are doing good, and two, that they're not with you, Lord, because they've done bad. But I pray that you would mature our church, grow our church in the faith that's ours in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that you would assure us of grace by your Holy Spirit, as your word says that, that your spirit testifies with our spirit that we are sons, and Lord, many of us need to hear that tonight. God, I pray for the person who is here that is in a season where they're doing really good, and they're responding to the gospel, and this seems that they seem to have control over this, that they would see that, that you are enough. And God, I pray that for the people who are struggling, Lord, and, and even struggling, Lord, with, with sins that are, that, are, that are ones that we're not used to in the church, Lord, 
yet we see in your Bible that are right there and people who are in the church who struggle with it, namely homosexual and homosexuality, God, that you would be able to bring healing there. And God, you would bring grace there. And as a body, we would learn how to love them the way that you've loved us, Lord. God, I pray as a people tonight that you would strengthen us and nourish us as we remind ourselves of your truth as we come to the Lord's table to remember you. Father, we do thank you. God, we do praise you for all that you've done. In Christ's name, amen. We're now transitioning to a time of response. And uh, where we get to respond to God's word, to ultimately respond to God's grace.